Welcome to Sharpest Knives Podcast, Episode 3. My name is Maris Antolin, and today's episode is my conversation with Colleen Borst. Colleen is the Development Manager at Velocity Dance Center, and at the time of our interview, she was also the Interim Managing Director at Velocity. So since then, Velocity has hired Catherine Nueva España as their new Executive Director. As you'll hear, Colleen does so much more than just development work. She is a print production artist, a maker of flower essences, and a self-described tarot card slinger. We talk about making space for art, how to talk to multiple groups of people at once, and Colleen shares what to avoid when talking to people who might give your organization money. And last, why everyone should watch The Great British Baking Show. Seriously, if you haven't watched it, it will make you feel so good. Watch it when you're having a bad day. So, with all that, episode three with Colleen Borst. Let's go. All right, welcome to Sharpest Knives. My name's Maris, and I am here today with Colleen Borst. She is an experienced fundraising and development professional and print production artist with over 20 years of working in nonprofit organization experience. Colleen is currently the interim managing director of Velocity Dance Center and has worked at Seattle University and the PETA Foundation. She is also a fundraising consultant, freelance print production artist, and tarot card slinger. She can be found at ColleenBorsConsulting.com, and she holds an MFA in Arts Leadership from Seattle University. Colleen, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me, Maris. Thank you for coming. All right, so getting straight into it, is there something important about your work that was left out of your bio? Um, I, not my current work, but I did co-found a small publishing company in 2012, um, and although I'm not very active with it anymore... I still do some of the print design work. Oh, so that's so fun. So that's really fun. Um, yeah, and then I've also recently gotten gotten into making flower essences. So oh. I guess if the rest <laughs> of the world falls apart, I can just yeah. make some flower essences. <laughs> Not fundraising that's, related that's really at all. Different. But, I you love know, it. I love it. I think you have to have a varied a varied repertoire of things to keep yourself engaged and interested. So, <laughs> yeah, so I agree. <laughs> just a dabbler, just mm-hmm. a dabbler in all things. Mm-hmm. So with that, what's the, what would you say is the common thread between all of those various things, maybe including your flower essences? I think storytelling mm-hmm. has always been the common thread. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on paper, my interest can look very, very varied, and my background mm-hmm. can look kind of all over the place, but yeah. I think when you get down into it, the common thread is is storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. I studied visual art. I have a BFA in photography. It was very, very active um, in social justice and, and activist work in my college years up until my early 30s. Um, and then I was working as a print production artist and project manager. Then I kind of, you know, moved into development. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
that thread of storytelling has always, always been the constant and it's just different yeah. forms yeah. Of, of storytelling. So that's kind of how I, how I look at that. Yeah. And would you say it's like, um, the human connection, like the storytelling is the human story or is it, is it many different stories? I would probably say the human story yeah. 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 in all our, in all our varied forms. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> well, great. So, jumping into velocity work, we met there when you were hired as the uh, development manager. Yep. Yes. And um, so, how long have you been working there? It'll be two years this spring, so I've been there for almost two years. It seems a lot longer. (laughs) (laughs) I think that working in a small organization, (laughs) things can, uh, short timelines can seem a lot longer. Yeah. um, I was going to say development work, but actually I think it's just working in a small organization mm-hmm. where, where those, those short timelines seem like they're a lot longer than they actually yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what, what was your relationship before working there with Velocity? Um, I, you know, my background is visual arts. I'm not a dancer at all. Uh, I, I like to say that I have the grace of a drunken baby roller skate on, <laughs> or, or ba- drunken baby giraffe on roller skates. That's so cute. <laughs> uh, you know, I think at the last time I took an actual dance class, I was probably five. Mm-hmm. Um, but Velocity, I've, I've been to shows at Velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't go to shows very much anymore just because I have a, toddler and I work full time and have 35,000 side projects. Um, but I, I went to Shardana's first, the first, um, she did a trio and it was all through Seattle and the first portion Mm -hmm. she did it at Velocity. And I, I did, I did go to that and was that worth my salt? No, it was not worth my salt. It was Maybe it was. I was it the one where it was all wallpapered? Yes. Black and white wallpaper? Yes. I think that was worth my salt. And she had the three, like, angel boys? Yep. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, at that point it was, Velocity has always been on my radar at, because it is a contemporary dance space, mm-hmm. um, and it, it showcases Seattle artists, but... I think it was at that point when I was like, oh, they are doing some radically queer and different art here Mm -hmm. and like making space for that and celebrating that. Um, And as a queer identified person, that was really, really inspiring and exciting um, to see. And also having grown up in Seattle um, and and being from this area and seeing the changes of rapid gentrification to know that there was still a place that held held space for art like that yeah. on the hill um was really really special that's and important really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's what really attracted me mm-hmm. to to velocity to, yeah so have you always lived in seattle i haven't i i grew up in bashan um which is slightly outside of the city mm-hmm. a ferry <laughs> ride away yeah. um but still close enough to the city to have have grown up in the city, yeah. um, you know, uh, and then in college I went to Savannah, Georgia and then Vancouver, BC. And then after that I came home to Seattle for a little bit, uh, and then 
moved to um, Norfolk, Virginia, um, Mm -hmm. where I started working for PETA. And I was there for, I was in Norfolk for a few years, and then I was in Washington, D.C. for a couple years. Mm -hmm. And then I came, then we moved, my wife and I moved back to Seattle. Um, When we moved to the West Coast, or the East Coast, I said, we're here for five years, and then I'm moving home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she was like, great, okay. And I think she thought maybe I was kind of kidding. And then five years in D.C. uh, hit, and I was like, okay, we're going home now. I'm going home now, right? And she was like, I don't know if I want to go home. And I was like... (laughs) Well, I told you we could do five years on the East Coast. I'm not an East Coast person. I'm going back to Seattle if you'd like to join me. (laughs) That's where I'll be. (laughs) And she was like, oh, 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 you're serious. Okay, we'll make this work. Um, (laughs) So we came back, and that was, I think, eight years ago. Yeah, it was in 2010 that we moved back. um, Mm -hmm. And we were in the city for most of that and we just recently moved to Tacoma a couple months ago so oh nice yeah so now we're down there and nice commute up and yeah I like it yeah that's great yeah um is is your wife from here too she's (coughs) sorry um she's a military brat so she kind of grew up everywhere Mm -hmm. um but her parents are in Olympia so being in Tacoma is really nice because we're close to my parents they live on Vashon and uh, uh, Queen Anne. Yeah. Um, and then <coughs> her parents live in Olympia, so it's really, gotcha. really nice. Yeah. That's pretty funny. She thought you were joking. I know. I was like, oh, she was like, <laughs> I thought maybe you'd like it and would change your mind. And I was like, I like going to the Smithsonian's, you know, like I miss going to the Smithsonian's. Mm-hmm. Like we were, I was there almost every weekend. I loved that. But other than that, I mean, and you could get to New York City for 20 bucks on the Bolt bus, which was pretty great That's, too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like, other than those two things, I really am just not an East Coast yeah. person. My younger sister is in Boston right now. She just finished up her undergraduate degree, and she's like, okay, great. I have had enough of the East Coast. <laughs> so she's thinking about maybe moving to Austin, Texas. See. <laughs> It's it's a happening Move back to place. the middle, yeah, yeah. And get some more weirder people. I think yeah. is what she wants. It's like the Portland of the South, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, with our with our talk about velocity and you you being here for a lot of your life, are are there other what other art experiences that you've had in Seattle? Could be at Velocity or could not be at Velocity. What art experience stand out to you? Or, like, anything that's uniquely Seattle? I mean, the things that I think are uniquely Seattle aren't actually, I don't think they're uniquely Uniquely Seattle. Seattle. Um, You know, (laughs) like, like my, you know, I, I grew up going to punk shows and punk houses and that is totally not uniquely Seattle at all no. but like that was my experience and people would do be doing like music but then also like weird performance art and mm-hmm. and you know there'd be you know visual stuff on the walls and like it's just it's I think I, I do I think it's anywhere but I think it's just the the notion and and the the, the just core being of we're going to make art whether there's a space for us or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's anywhere, right? Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it's uniquely Seattle, but that's, 
those are my experiences. And so yeah. that's what I remember about growing up in this, in this city is, yeah. is that those places existed. So. I love that conversation. I mean, that's such an important, like that's very much at the front of art making in Seattle is who's got the money to pay for the space or pay for the artist's time or do the artists get paid or like we should just have outdoor murals and make a bunch of public art that's I mean I would say that is a Seattle thing all Mm. the public art here Mm -hmm. but I mean obviously that could be anywhere too um but that's something that is related to velocity as well because there's so much growth in Capitol Hill and there's like so much messaging coming out of velocity that they're like the heart of the hill they are like you were saying with Shredana's show that's like a representation of like the people of this neighborhood and um like the art community here yeah yeah I don't, I don't, but I also wonder like how, how long will that be the story of Capitol Hill? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's a ra- it's, it's a rapidly changing landscape. Um, yeah. It continues to rapidly change. Um, and that, that story is important, but how long will that be the story? Yeah. You know? That's the question. I think. Yeah. We'll just have to see. Hopefully a lot longer. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I want spaces like 12th Ave and um, like the Erickson Theater. I don't think the Erickson Theater is going to go anywhere anytime soon. Well, they also have the support of Seattle Central Community right, College. Right, exactly. Or Seattle Central. I guess it's just Seattle Central College now. Yeah, um. <laughs> but because, yeah, because both of those places have support from much larger institutions. Institutions, yeah. Or like multiple organizations and yeah. artists. And I think that's a trend that we're going to see increase in mm-hmm. in Seattle. I think I think organizations are gonna have to band together. I think we're gonna have to get real real creative about uh living and working spaces and presenting spaces and mm-hmm. educational spaces and those those multi use spaces and, and yeah. how that works. Um I think that's the conversation that that I think that's that's what the future looks like um mm-hmm. in in these more central spaces in seattle yeah for sure yeah so it'll be interesting to see how everything shakes out yeah but definitely it's also really exciting you know it's scary yeah. but it's also what an opportunity like for mm-hmm. for connection and, and growth and yeah so i think that's that's the really exciting part about it totally and yeah i mean making collaborating between organizations mm-hmm. and not not treating each other as the enemy, but really like realizing who has what strengths and how to use them. Yeah. And stepping out of scarcity mindset and Mm -hmm. and figuring out how do we make this work together for Mm -hmm. all of us, I think is an exciting conversation. And I think that's where we're headed. I think it has to be where we're headed to to sustain any of us. Yeah. Have you um, seen that conversation move towards collab more collaboration at velocity um i think we're getting there i think the conversations are are starting to happen and are are in place um and we have we have quite a few community partnerships uh as is right yeah you know anyways but i think that those are just going to continue to get stronger Mm -hmm. um in the next few years and i think it'll be really interesting to see what what shakes out Yeah. yeah 
So with that, um, Velocity has multiple audiences and potential donors. Um, artists, adult students, art, arts patrons at all levels. And what's the most important thing to keep in mind when talking to different groups of people about money, like in your development role? Yeah, I think I think that's an important piece of the story, but I also think that um, people can get hung up on too much of demographic segmentation when Mm -hmm. when talking about donor pools and donor segments um like there's definitely different ways that you interact with different pools but at the heart of it it's about the mission and and the story of the organization yeah um and that's across the board it doesn't matter who you're talking to Mm -hmm. um (laughs) that remains the same yeah you know the the ways that you talk to people are a bit different um but the the core messaging yeah shouldn't change it does it doesn't change it shouldn't change um i don't think if you're being true to your to your mission right um and if you're serving your organization and and not yourself those those things would never change um you do have to know how to read people Mm -hmm. especially when you're doing when you're talking to higher impact donors and and more one-on-one interactions yeah um but really that's across the board too. Like what inspires people? What, what inspires people to give? Um, you know, some people give because they believe in sustaining a diverse arts culture in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Some people are inspired by the art itself. Um, some people are inspired by stories of impact. Some people are inspired by impact numbers. Um, and, and you just kind of gauge that by talking to a, per- a person one-on-one. Yeah. Um, if you're talking to a large group of people, like if you're doing a mass appeal mailing mm-hmm. or something, I think you just have to pick a little bit of each. Like you have to, you have to yeah. have the numbers. You also <laughs> have to have that, that heartfelt story in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more and more we're, we're finding that it's a combination of these different these different points that yeah. that help tap into people. Do people want to hear a heartfelt story? Yeah. Absolutely. Do they also yeah. want to know the direct impact that five dollars is going to have? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do they want to know how many artists walk through your doors a month? Yeah. Like yeah. so, you have to take all of that into account, especially when you're doing a broad mailing, because you don't actually know who you're who you're talking yeah. to as much. I mean, there's ways to personalize and segmentate segment. Um, groups and and, yeah. and do all that stuff, but that's <laughs> but you know it you, seems like a you you can easily get into a vortex of, totally a data um, yeah <laughs> like just like infinite Venn diagrams that target mm-hmm. each individual donor you've ever had at your organization yeah you could uh, yeah <laughs> and then you would have no time to do anything to do anything else, else. Yeah. exactly um. But, you know, at the end of the day, donors are just people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I think a lot of times people are like, oh, donors, donors, donors. And I'm like, they're just people. And I think that's really important to yeah. remember, too. Um, but, to you know, to work in development, I think you have to genuinely want to get to know, to get to know those donors, mm-hmm. um, to find out what they care about and why they give to an organization or an individual or a project, um, just what makes them tick. And really, no matter who they are, which group they're in, or even how much money they can give, um, I think it's really important to recognize, especially when you're in a really small shop and you do all of it, um, 
that you have to recognize a person's capacity and appreciate that $15 or, you know, $50 from one person might be way more meaningful than a thousand dollars from another person. Totally. Um, So it's, it's that reading people and, and engaging people and, you know, you don't have to be extroverted to do it. Like, I'm, I'm actually not an extrovert. I'm, <laughs> I'm fairly highly introverted when yeah. it comes down to it. Um, but you still have to, you know, want to connect Yeah. to another human being. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So. That's fun. Have you had a good experience um, getting to know Velocity's various audiences over the past two years? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess what I really mean is, has it been, like, how does Velocity compare to other organizations where you've done similar work? Is it it all about the same, like, predictably the same different demographics? I want to say no, but my answer is kind of yes. Like, like, like we're all individuals and we're all exactly the same. Um, (laughs) You know, it's it's a different space in which I've worked. I think people are are motivated. I mean, it's an arts organization, right? Yeah. Um, But the thing is, is there is all these subsets of it like there we do a lot of more social justice type work mm-hmm. at velocity so right. there's a story there like you can that can be pursued you can talk about that with yeah. a person um i don't think i'm answering your question at all uh, <laughs> I, think you are. I, think, I think you are i think that um the groups of people in terms of like demographics or how it's broken down might not be very different, but it comes back to what you're saying about story, how the importance of storytelling and how you communicate your mission or even like why it's so important that someone give their $50 that they have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and like knowing your donor subcategories helps in that because I'm going to talk to a choreographer in a much different way than I'm going to talk to, um, a, person who is funding arts at the intersection of social justice and arts. Right. Um, maybe if the choreographer is doing <laughs> something totally unrelated to that, right. you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's different and it's not different. Mm-hmm. It, you just have to know your story and know your mission. And yeah, I think that's across the board for any organization. Yeah. Have you ever worked um, in this kind of work, like development work or like similar work at an organization where you didn't believe in the mission yourself and had to like sell the mission to other people? <sighs> not, not necessarily. There's, I've worked at places that I've been less passionate about mm-hmm. the mission. Yeah. Um, but even even in those instances there are nuggets that always resonate. Yeah. So it's finding those nuggets to inspire myself and then recognizing what nuggets I need to share to inspire other people. Yeah. The nuggets of authenticity. The nuggets of authenticity. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like what inspires one person might not inspire another person. Right. Like 
when I, I worked in higher education and, um, I like the scholarships were really important to me. Yeah. Um, and mostly needs based scholarships, but there were other, you know, there were donors who really wanted merit based scholarships or sports scholarships or, you know, things that I am not nearly as passionate about. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's all part of it. You still do it. Right. And then like the, the couple stories that you can hold on to get you through to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's all connected. Yeah. Know, so <laughs> do you have a horror story about what not to do when talking to donors <laughs> or potential donors? Well, I have a few, but they yeah. all kind of end in the same thing. <laughs> um, and I think that, I think there's a, not a myth. It's not a myth, but a stereotype that like there's more drinking and development work than maybe any <laughs> other work in, in nonprofit work. You're drinking by yourself, drinking, or you're drinking no, with other socially. People. Like there's okay. more maybe drinking by yourself. You're like um, wanting and dining people. Yeah, because you're out with donors. You're yeah. at a function. You're at a fundraising function. You're at a networking function. You're out with a donor. So there is a little bit more um, social drinking. I think. Yeah. I think um, in development work and. And I think it's really important, especially if you're starting out in development, to really know your limits with alcohol. Like, oh gosh! Oh no! <laughs> but like, I have like I have a one drink max. Like I have a one drink limit when mm-hmm. I'm with when I'm with a donor. Um, and most of the time, I don't actually drink when I'm with a donor. Yeah. I'll, I'll get like a soda and bitters because it's kind of fancy and fun. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to get sloppy. Um, yeah. And I've seen I've seen a lot of sloppiness. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and it, it, it just, it, you know, sometimes it happens and it is what it is. But I think it's yeah. really, I think it's a really important thing to remember, especially if for people who are just starting their career in development to really understand their limits with alcohol and to know when they need to cut themselves off. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I was, that was not what I was expecting at all. I was just thinking that your horror story would be, and I didn't get the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that, but that's not a horror story. It's just part of the game. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah. That's like, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Maris. You um, go. But you know, that's not getting the money is part of the game. Yeah. Like, and you can't let, you can't let that bring you down either. Like you just sure. pick up and you keep going. Yeah. Um, no matter if it's. You know, no matter if you're writing grants or sending out an appeal or doing a fundraising campaign online or talking to a donor in person, like, yeah. sometimes you're just not going to get the money. Yeah. That's yeah, that's part of the game. But it also, I mean, even just not getting the money from someone doesn't mean that they don't want to not be involved in your organization. Totally. Totally. So, like, keep, yeah. them in, keep them engaged as, as much as you can. Right. Yeah. Just because they... Like, they might have been coming to a show for a long time and think that or feel that the amount they're paying for tickets is the, is the stat, is like the exact amount they're getting back in experience. And that's what they, that's all they need to do to be engaged. Mm -hmm. Or even, or even do volunteer work instead or like, bring cookies for the gala or something like that. Exactly. Or know somebody who can, you know, 
Oh, I had something. It's gone. Um, yeah, or like bring a bag of wigs, which was an experience I had yeah, working bring a at Velocity. Or know somebody who's a baker that can bring a dessert for a fundraising event or something. You yeah. know, there's so many ways that people can give back. I think that people kind of get, I think it's easy to get stuck on the, on the bottom, the bottom line and that, and that finance, the financial gifts, but it's also so important, especially with smaller organizations like we rely on a on volunteers for some mm-hmm. of our work like that's extremely valuable that's yeah. extremely valuable totally um how much of your work as the development manager is based on money like what percentage is based on donor relations that's purely monetary and what percentage would you say is more like keeping people engaged in the work I think because we have two staff members on on the development team right now, um, most of my the 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 majority of my work is um, is is financial contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, the lesser part is is building and maintaining relationships with foundations, major mm. donors, mid impact donors. Um, grants you know that that type of thing but it's sure. it's more focused on um on the bottom line um whereas uh my counterpart in in development is much more focused on engagement mm-hmm. and um getting volunteers and uh monthly donors at lower levels and mm-hmm. um keeping people engaged through community events and uh stewardship um, yeah. and, and that, so they're both incredibly important. Um, it's yeah. just because we're able to have right now, at least, um, two people working on that. That's really nice. That's how it's, it's split yeah. up a little bit. Uh, yeah. so, so that's really nice. Um, I, I enjoy that. It's nice to be able to have, have a two person <laughs> development yeah, totally. team, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I used to work in a, in a department with like 80 development professionals. So now to be oh, like, gosh. as two people, it's such a relief, but it really is <laughs> like, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful that I'm not the only person um, right. doing that work. Yeah. So. And it's, I imagine it makes the work more fun and easier to have a collaborator to help tell the story of the organization. You're not just, you know, sitting, I, I mean, it's just one office, but you're not sitting <laughs> at your desk alone, like writing the story of Velocity by yourself. Mm-hmm. And and I, even if I didn't, even if we didn't have two people in development at Velocity, I couldn't yeah. tell the story of Velocity myself. Like, yeah. I rely so heavily on marketing mm-hmm. and programming um yeah. and even operations like programming and programming can get me the story i can hone it communications can polish it you know it takes yeah. all of these like i couldn't do it i couldn't do it by myself and i think that's what's really fun about development is mm-hmm. that when you work in development you're not you're not doing development work for development's sake like you're not raising yeah. your department you know what i mean yeah, like definitely. you're not you're not doing anything for your department you're raising the programming um, yeah. and the organization and and yeah. so it is it has to be collaborative yeah um, yeah otherwise, otherwise you can't, you're just you're just raise <laughs> I don't know. Telling You're a story in that doesn't weird exist. Separate towers yeah. trying to tell the same story. The story. It's the same story, and it doesn't yeah. work, right? And, yeah. and it makes things confusing. I think that's when when people get confused and donations yeah. start to dip. 
So. Yeah. I'm like, we don't understand Stand your what's story. going on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we it's... don't understand why you want our money and time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when those three towers are communicating in an arts organization really well, I think that um, you're able to tell that story really well. And then donors and community members, patrons, artists really start to understand the needs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. <laughs> What's your favorite experience interacting with a donor? I think, again, it's just finding out what makes people tick and mm-hmm. what they're interested in and mm-hmm. why they give. And, yeah. You know, it's just people are so varied. You mm-hmm. never, you never know why somebody is at velocity. It could be that they're a professional dancer and that's what they do. And then you can find out their origin story or or whatever. And that's really interesting too. Um, or, you know, you can have a middle-aged woman come in and start dancing in one of the beginners classes Mm -hmm. and you're like, why, why are you doing this? Like, well, I never got to do it when I was a kid or, or I, I wanted to do it, but I never felt comfortable in my body doing it. And now I've decided I'm going to, and I love it. And so it's just like, that's really empowerful, empowering and wonderful. And like, yeah, that's amazing. Like it was just finding those, those little stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have to remember them. Like when you work in development, you have to right. remember all right. those little stories because right. that's how you connect with people. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but it it's fun. Uh, yeah, it's fun. And it's also really fun, like, building a good rapport with a donor. And then, mm-hmm. like, you know, you talk about the artwork and, and the needs of the organization. And then you end up talking about the British baking show right, and right. how it's giving Americans hope because <laughs> everyone's so, so nice. nice. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. just, it's fun. Those connections yeah. are really lovely. Yeah. yeah. I would like Prue to be my grandma. Teach me how to bake. I feel, I feel like everyone who works in a nonprofit organization right now just goes home and binge watches the Great British <laughs> Baking Show because everybody's so nice to each other. There's hope for the There's world. So- <laughs> oh, anyway, the show is so good. <laughs> see, see, this is what I'm saying. But um, anyways, yeah, it's just it's just finding out what makes people tick and then mm-hmm. finding connections. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the idea of finding the connections and also kind of like collecting those stories a little bit and then potentially like, I mean, it makes events easier too because you can find two donors and be like, oh my gosh, you have the British baking show in common. (laughs) Why don't you talk about like why you're at Velocity and that enhances both of their experiences. Or like, oh, you were both at the same show and you really liked it. Right. You should, I would really love to hear what you guys have to say and and maybe you would like to hear what the other person has to say too. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool too. Keeping that dialogue about the organization and the work going, Mm -hmm. which is... Why you do what you do. Exactly. Hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. Otherwise, maybe you should not be doing that. Right. <laughs> you could go make flower essences somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you have you made, like, like, true friendships with people who you've connected with as a development professional? 
Like, is there, is I there don't any know a if time it's as a development professional or as a, someone at Velocity? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, or totally. like, is it because I work at the same organization as somebody? Like, I, mm-hmm. I also have really good friends from my time at Seattle University. Sure. I still have, and I, I wasn't there for that long. I was there for like three years. And I have mm-hmm. really, really good friends from my time at PETA. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. And I have wonderful friendships with people at Velocity. Both yeah. Donors, artists, and uh, you know people on staff. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's because I—I I mean, I—I I, I could say, oh, it's because I have to go talk to everyone. But I mm-hmm. think honestly, all of us in that office talk to everyone because it's a small—it's it's a, a small, small office, office. <laughs> yeah. and everyone walks by. Everyone walks by, and yeah. it's a—it's a—you know—it's a shared space office. Nobody has one room with a bunch of desks in it. If somebody right. walks in. You're going to end up talking to them, most likely. Right. You know? Um, but, yeah, I would say that there's really valuable friendships and relationships that I've, that I've made at my, at my time at Velocity mm-hmm. um, with artists and choreographers, but also uh, funders. You know, those, those relationships will yeah. continue on. Yeah. Um, and donors, it's... Even if I was to leave Velocity tomorrow, I think that I would still engage with some of those donors, at least because of the relationships that I have with artists that right. have come from Velocity or are at Velocity. Right. And that's, it's, it's a very, you know, the donor pool overlaps a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Seattle dance community, dancers, choreographers, donors, people who work in it is very small. It is. I was surprised when I came here like to the big city that the community is actually tiny it's it's fairly small yeah yeah, yeah i would agree yeah. with that or you know where everybody at least knows each other right you know yeah you know so yeah. yeah so yeah there there are important relationships i think that yeah will continue after my time at velocity um, yeah i mean i'm not going anywhere right. i don't intend to go anywhere soon right, right. anytime soon but um you know as long as that community is is here, and I'm hovering around it, then right, it'll yeah. yeah. I think those relationships will continue for sure. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, I love that it it includes not only like colleagues and not only choreographers and people who take class and teach class, but also the people who go to shows and you like see regularly going to similar shows or yeah. you see at events and things like yeah. that. That I think. I mean, that's the true value of the work is how you connect all of the different people who interact with that organization and who you interact with, connecting them to each other and um, even making that connection into the larger community is important. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What is a common misconception about development work i think that it's all schmoozing and Mm -hmm. and parties and laughing it up with people who have lots of money (laughs) and like that's sometimes part of it um i mean it can be uh, maybe uh (laughs) watch your alcohol um i mean i think i think that that's just like more old school and more outward facing Mm -hmm. and and i think that um you know, we talk about diversifying your fund, your streams and diversifying your funding. Um, and 
so it's 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 also it's gritty it's gritty work like mm-hmm. it's it's grueling <laughs> and it's gritty yeah and it's hard and it takes long hours but you know it's it's grant writing it's appeal writing it's looking through data at to figure out segmentation and right. to figure out what the best time to send an email for an open rate is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it's so it's slogging through data and it's figuring out how to do a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. And it's figuring out how to get your mid-level donors to give a little bit more and be higher mm-hmm. impact donors. And um, I think... I have, I have this theory. <laughs> I have this theory, Maris. Um, no, but I think I think that one-on-one relationships, especially with higher impact donors and mid-impact donors, it's more like psychology, right? Because mm-hmm. you're it's one-on-one, it's individual. You're trying to connect with this person and figure it out. Yeah. And then when you're working at broad-based appeals, it's more like um, sociology. It's like what makes a broad mm. group of people do this thing? Like what makes a broad group of people give me $15? Like right. I don't figure that out. Yeah. So you're looking at the, the data points and mm-hmm. it's less about connecting on that emotional level. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that the misconception is, is that it's schmoozy and, mm-hmm. All schmoozy and boozy, and (laughs) and it's all like relationship based, and a lot of so much of it is relationship based, but a lot of it is also very transactional Mm -hmm. um, and data driven, and yeah, yeah. I think especially now in a in a increasingly globalized world where we have the internet and there are these fundraising campaigns online and crowdfunding and and all these things, and even though um, you know the old adage is true where. 80% 80% of your funds come from 20% of your donors, you know, mm-hmm. so that's where you focus when you only have time. But, yeah, you know, the, the 20% that comes from 80% of your donors, there's donors in there that have more capacity than right. you ever know if you don't pay any attention to that. Right, so, if you just assume it's free money. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a balancing act. I, think, I don't think that people maybe realize how much of a balancing act it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. Do you see um potential for change in how development works or have you seen a change in how development works um or I guess like putting more value on experiences or like personal connections versus the money or has it always been the same like percentage of balance i think it's kind of always been the same percentage of balance Mm -hmm. but what i do see is a a much more conversation in giving value to volunteers Mm -hmm. to diversifying funding streams to not relying on a couple major donors um right because that's not it's not stable right i think the the conversation now is the more diverse that you can be, the more stable your organization's going to be. Because if one mm-hmm. brick falls out, you're not the, the entire foundation and wall isn't going to crumble. Right. You know, like you right. can, you have another brick that you can shove in there right. um, <laughs> to make it work. You just make it work. <laughs> but so that's that's what I think is is interesting, and that's the conversation that I've watched change yeah. in the last couple years. Um, 
And also I think putting, putting value on meeting people where they are. Um, mm-hmm. I think there used to be, I mean, I, I think I, I still think it's true, but you know, organizations used to stack their boards with people with really high giving capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think it's um, that while that still happens and you should maybe have, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's debatable and it's a discussion, but you know, you should have people with capacity on your board, but you also need to meet people where they are and understand their skills and mm-hmm. welcome their skills and appreciate their skills and understand that it's not necessarily monetary. Right. Um, you know, and a, a lot of organizations have adopted for boards, at least this, uh, make a meaningful gift model, mm-hmm. right? Instead of like, you have to give the organization $5,000 a year, please sign this contract. It's yeah. please make a meaningful gift. Well, that could be $20 to somebody, but right. they could also give hundreds of hours a year right. to volunteering at yeah. things, um, shows or events or, or anything. Yeah. So I think that there's more, now there's more emphasis being placed on the monetary value mm-hmm. of experience. Yeah. Um, in the in the boards and volunteers class I just had last term at Seattle U, I took it from Ken Gordon, and he spoke about um, an example he brought up a million times was he had a board member who couldn't give as much monetarily, and so she made a cake for the gala. <laughs> and, like, that was her big contribution for the year. And, like, everyone, no one poo-pooed her or, like thought that her contribution was less, she put time and love into a cake to Mm -hmm. give everyone and share. Besides money, and this connects with what we were just talking about with other ways of contribution, Mm -hmm. and um, so what other barriers exist that might prevent people from donating to Velocity or even engaging in the work? Um, I think think it's pretty much... the same in any organization, um, and that's feeling disconnected from the work or not understanding the impact of their gift. Mm. Um, because Velocity is not only a place of education and research and incubation, uh, but also offers services, and I think this this is probably true for any uh, organization that offers services, um, classes, space rentals, performances, like things that people actually have to pay to pay to go to or use. Yeah. I think that there's a real common misconception that our earned income pays for the organization. Um, and it's just, it's just not the case. Like our, our rental rates are low because we deeply subsidize the space to keep it affordable to artists. Right. Um, Velocity doesn't make that much money on the class attendance, um, an attempt to support our teachers. Right. Um, like last year we gave artists, almost 2000 hours in free space through the creative residency programs. Mm-hmm. Um, like half of our income is through donations and grants. And that's what keeps velocity able to continue to offer the low rent and the creative residencies. But even with that, we're still running at a shoestring, you know, right. like, yeah. and it's so much, I see that so often in, in small organizations and mid-sized organizations um but I, I there's a disconnect when you're paying for a service right that oh i'm paying for this but it doesn't actually cover half of the cost right. that it, it takes to offer it to me right. um and i think that that's a it's a hard story to tell and it's not it's not like there's a good opportunity 
to be like, you just bought a class ticket. Did you know that it doesn't even, you know, I mean, you know, it's like. That's rude, too. (laughs) It doesn't, it wouldn't encourage people to come back. Right, right. Well, then, uh, obviously, my money's no good here. Right, right. I should go somewhere else. Yeah, it's it's a tricky story to tell, and I think a lot of, um, especially arts organizations, I think uh, that's super super typical mm-hmm. for arts organizations you know i you go down to sam and it's like well i had to pay for my admission so yeah. why would i make a donation right you know it's that it's yeah. that same argument it's like well because everything's subsidized like heavily heavily right. right um and and there's so many there's so many you know amazing uh public programs at all of these arts orgs that it's like, right. it's, it's not covered by the ticket prices. Right. So, I mean, every donation helps. That's, that's the story. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you're a service organization that offers something that people pay for, that can be a really hard issue to hammer home. Yeah. So, but we're all in it together. Yeah. Guess, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Um, is there, do you have any other closing thoughts? Anything we didn't cover? In our convo, I don't think so. I mean, I think we, I think we covered a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was was certainly a fun conversation, Maris. Um, and yeah, I think I love, I love development work. I love, I love working in it. It's, a, it's yeah. a lot of fun. You think you'll do it for a good long the time? Foreseeable future. <laughs> the foreseeable future. Yeah, <laughs> I like it, and it's, it's a really, it's a really varied. Um, field, I think, and mm-hmm. I don't think people often realize how varied it is. Yeah, um, you know, you can write grants, you can write appeals, you can run fundraising events, you can right. be a major gifts officer. There's, there's a lot. You can be a data person that does right. research. You know, there, yeah. it, there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah, within development, I, I think that's an important point to hammer home at the end that it doesn't only have to be talking to people face to face, asking for money. Absolutely, because that's absolutely. Something that I know people find daunting where they're like, well, I'm not a salesperson, yeah. so I can't do development. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's not only that. It's, it's not that at all. Just, yeah. like, <laughs> just like any job, there's a lot of different facets. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, anything you want to plug besides ColleenBorstConsulting.com? I mean, I'll plug Velocity any day oh, of the yes, week. Oh, we've, yes. we've got awesome programming coming up in 2019. It's, it's going to be an exciting time for Velocity and... Uh, yeah, also my own stuff, but you just plug that for me, yeah. so I don't have to. So, yeah, velocitydancecenter.org. Check it out. Come see a show. Yeah, cool. Be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Maris. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the Sharpest Knives podcast is created, edited, and produced by me, Maris Antolin, and partially supported by the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash sharpest knives podcast or find us on Instagram at sharpest knives podcast. And you can follow along and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sharpest knives podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and your questions and suggestions for future guests. Email us at sharpest knives podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.